Thank you, Marty. If you would, bow your heads in prayer with me this morning. Father God, we just praise you so much for the opportunity to come together this morning to celebrate Covenant's 45th birthday, Lord. We are so very humbled and grateful for the fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters who sacrificed much for us to have this sanctuary, to have the facilities, to have the staff that we have to gather and worship. Lord, we thank you for your mercy to us, the ways in which you have so richly blessed us. And Father, we pray in the 45 years to come and beyond that we would be a church, a congregation that preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ and Christ crucified, that we would be a church that stands on Christ alone, by faith alone, Lord. Lord, you continue to bless us this morning. We are so very grateful for the birth of Carmen Elise Massey, granddaughter of Anna Holmes. And Lord, there are those within our congregation who are suffering. We pray that you would just give comfort and peace to Anne-Marie Levier and her stepfather, Mark Rickles, as he is under hospice care. And Father, we pray that as we go forward, would we, a, we would be a church, continue to be a church that is focused on missions and proclaiming the gospel, not just here in Birmingham, but beyond our borders. We lift up to you this morning, Vern and Alina Marshall in Chile, our missions partners there. We pray that you would bless their ministry there, that you would provide for their needs there, that many people would come to know the love of Jesus Christ, that they would be set free from anxiety and despair and hopelessness, the things that shackle us and burden us down, Father, that they would look upon you and see the beauty and the glory of your gospel. Lord, this morning we pray for Reverend Holt as he comes and brings your words to us. May we have ears to hear, may we have minds to understand it, and may our hearts be receptive, Father, that we might go forward knowing the freedom that we have in Christ, in you. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, as you've heard a couple times by now, today is the 45th anniversary of Covenant Presbyterian Church. That's a pretty special day and thankful to be here and be part of it. This week, I spoke to a friend who is an elder here, and he was he was excited about our 45th anniversary also. And he said, Robbie, did you, did you pick a special passage for our anniversary Sunday or are you, uh, you know, sticking with numbers? And um, <clears throat> the, the truth is, uh, picking a, a unique passage never crossed my mind. Um, but what's great is, uh, you know, we, we created this schedule well over a year ago. And uh, what's wonderful is this is a great passage uh, for an anniversary uh, Sunday. Uh, the passage we're going to read today, our passage today is Numbers 9, verse 1 through 10, 10. And this is what we're going to read about today. God says emphatically and repeatedly, remember your story. Remember that I rescued you. So let's read that now. We're going to read uh, parts of it together uh, to begin with. And I'm on page 14 in the worship God. Nope, 13 in the worship God. And uh, in your Bibles, I'll be reading uh, verse nine, chapter 9, verse 1 right now through verse 14. And then we'll look at the rest of the passage here in a little bit. Will you please read this passage with me? 
And Yahweh spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the first month of the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt saying, let the people of Israel keep the Passover at its appointed time on the 14th day of this month at twilight. You shall keep it at its appointed time according to all its statutes and all its rules. You shall keep it. So Moses told the people of Israel that they should keep the Passover and they kept the Passover in the first month on the 14th day of the month at twilight in the wilderness of Sinai, according to all that Yahweh commanded Moses. So the people of Israel did. And there were certain men who were unclean through touching a dead body so that they could not keep the Passover on that day. And they came before Moses and Aaron on that day. And those men said to him, we are unclean through touching a dead body. Why are we kept from bringing Yahweh's offering at its appointed time among the people of Israel? And Moses said to them, wait, that I may hear what Yahweh will command concerning you. Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel saying, if any one of you or your, or of your descendants is unclean through touching a dead body or is on a long journey, he shall still keep the Passover to Yahweh in the second month on the 14th day at twilight, they shall keep it. They shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall leave none of it until the morning, nor break any of its bones. According to all the statute for the Passover, they shall keep it. But if anyone who is clean and is not on a journey fails to keep the Passover, that person shall be cut off from his people because he did not bring Yahweh's offering at its appointed time. That man shall bear his sin. And if a stranger sojourns among you and would keep the Passover to Yahweh according to the statute of the Passover and according to its rule, so shall he do. You shall have one statute, both for the sojourner and for the native. All flesh is like grass and all its glory is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Father in heaven, we've read your word now. Would you bless us? Open our eyes through the power of the Holy Spirit that we might see the glories of our salvation and particularly our Savior in this passage today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we uh, read the passage there and maybe you picked up on it, but it's pretty emphatic and it's pretty repetitive, right? Have them keep the Passover. Have them keep the Passover according to its rules. They shall keep it. They shall keep it. They shall keep it. They shall keep it. Then there was a problem. They're going to keep it too, just one month later. But it's very repetitive and it's pretty emphatic. And that's a, a, a way that ancient authors made their point. But here uh, you have a, a recording of God speaking. And what's he saying to Israel again and again and again? Keep the Passover. Why is that so important? Keeping the Passover reminded them that Yahweh had saved them. So here's what happened a year before this event when they kept the Passover in the wilderness. A year before this, they kept the Passover and they were still in Egypt. The first Passover, remember, they were in Egypt and they were living as slaves. Yahweh had come in and done nine of his 10 plagues. He's about to do the 10th plague on the Egyptians. He's about to put the firstborn male of all their homes to death in the Egyptian homes and even their animals. He's going to slay them so that the Egyptians will let Yahweh's people, Yahweh's son, Israel, go free. And so Yahweh is about to do the 10th big plague on Egypt. And so what he tells them to do is to go get a lamb a year old 
an unblemished lamb, a perfect lamb, bring that lamb into your, into your household for four days, uh, get it ready, and then you're going to slaughter that lamb. You're going to take the blood of the lamb and put it on the lintel of your door. And then when the angel of death comes in uh, to Egypt, he's going to fly over Egypt, pass over Egypt, and he's going to put to death the firstborn sons of all the Egyptian homes. But if there's the blood on the lintel of your door, then the angel of death will pass over your home and you will not face judgment and death. Uh, your enemies will, but you will not if the blood of the lamb is on your door. That first Passover happened in Egypt. And remember, uh, the people had to listen to God's voice and respond quickly. So they had bread and there was no leaven it. There was no time for the bread to rise anyway. So they ate unleavened bread and bitter herbs and they ate the lamb. Unleavened bread because they had to hurry because Yahweh was coming to rescue them and save them that night. Bitter herbs to remind them of all the sorrows and bitterness of being a, a people in bondage for 400 years. But Yahweh showed up as it were, rolled up his sleeves. He stooped down, swooped down, rescued his people, brought them to himself and led them out of Egypt. That was the first Passover. And then there was a cloud and Yahweh led his people from Egypt um, uh, to the Red Sea and from the Red Sea into the wilderness. And that's what God's people are celebrating here. It's a year later now. And Yahweh has told them this, this month that I rescued from Egypt, it's the first month of your year. It's your anniversary. Every year you start over and remember your story. You remember that I saved and I rescued you. And on the 14th night, of that first month, that beginning of the year on the 14th night. And that's what they're looking at here. Uh, they're going to celebrate the Passover. This is the first Passover after they left Egypt and they're going to do it throughout their generations. What is that about? What is that emphatically about? Remembering your salvation, remembering that you were delivered. And so it's a good and fitting thing for a church to, to remember uh, that we were started four or five years ago, but it's even more important to remember we're part of a, a, a story that's not just 45 years old. We're part of a much larger story where we're the people who believe we've been rescued by the love of God because God in his love sent his son to rescue us from our sin, but not just from the guilt of sin, even the power and dominion of sin. Now, that's what the New Testament tells us again and again and again. If you believe in Jesus Christ, not only are you forgiven, the penalty for your sin has been paid, but the power of sin over your life has been broken. You're, you're no longer a slave. You've been delivered and set free. Uh, you've had your own exodus experience. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're no longer guilty and you're no longer a slave. Christian, remember your salvation. Remember your deliverance. Do you believe in Jesus? The blood of the lamb is over the door of your life. You're forgiven. Somebody, a substitute has died in your place. Do you believe in Jesus? You're not in bondage. You're not a slave. You've been set free from the dominating power of sin. And sometimes it even feels like it. If you're like me, uh, you know there's something else. So the penalties have been paid. The power has been broken. But the presence of sin still lives in us. And so we wrestle with sin. There's a real struggle for the one who believes. The presence of sin is in us until we die or until Jesus comes back and eradicates it completely. And even though 
The presence of sin is there. The penalty has been paid. It is finished. And the power of sin, the dominating power of sin has been broken. Believer, you're not a slave. You're not in bondage to the power of sin. This passage, God tells his people to remember your story. Remember your story. Remember your story. Remember that at one point you needed to be rescued. That's an important word for Covenant Presbyterian Church. Um, here's why. If, if you're new to Covenant Presbyterian Church, you know, Christy and I have been here three years and a couple months. Let me just tell you, it's a very impressive place. It doesn't take long to look around and be like, I think everybody's very, very impressive. And, and when you look around and you see a lot of impressive people uh, physically, professionally, etc., it doesn't take long to begin to feel like, I'm, I'm not sure I... I'm sure I'm impressive enough to be around these people. And sometimes you might even feel the interior, internal pressure to put on airs to like maybe appear more impressive than you are because we're surrounded by very impressive people. Well, I want to make another impression <laughs> upon you today. Uh, not that external, visible impressiveness, but I want everyone to tune in to this true reality Everyone here who believes in Jesus Christ needed the son of God to die in our place and pay for our sins. And there was no hope for us apart from that. And everyone here before we met Jesus, we were slaves and in bondage to sin. And if we'd been left to ourselves, it'd been nothing but disaster. But we've been rescued by the grace of God. That's the true core of who we are. Uh, Sinners desperately in need and rescued by the grace of God. Did you hear what we said in our confession of sin today? We said, oh Lord, we don't do the things you tell us to do. And Lord, sometimes we do the things you tell us not to do. We, we, we rebel in both directions. We fail to do what you say and we do what you say and we don't do. And then we say, then we said this, therefore, there is no integrity. Therefore, we lack integrity. What we confessed here in public was there's a gap between our external visibility and our internal struggle and reality. And it's good for us to say these words to the Lord and each other's presence again and again and again. It's important to remember our story and remember that we have been rescued. It's also true for this church. This church has been rescued by the mercy and the grace of God. Not many years ago, we were deeply divided against each other. There were divisions in the body and there were divisions among the leadership of the body. The session itself, the elders of this church were divided against each other in a major painful conflict. But God's a rescuing God, a God of patience and kindness and mercy and love and faithfulness to his people. So what did God do? He sent a faithful servant named Sandy Wilson, the interim pastor here, who helped us work through all of the divisions and and all of the sin. And, And he interviewed tons of people, our elders, our leaders, and many of you. And he got to the bottom of things by the mercy and grace and help of God. And here's what happened. The leaders of this church, here's part of our rescue story. At one point, having been convinced that God was right and they were wrong, the leaders of this church, the elders of this church had a meeting and they got in God's presence and they had asked for God's forgiveness. They got eyeball to eyeball with each other and they confessed how they'd sinned against each other in particular specific ways. Brothers, elders in this church stood up and said, ah, so-and-so, I sinned against the Lord, this church and against you. 
I sinned against you. I've asked the Lord's forgiveness where you forgive me. And one after another, they confessed to one another and forgave one another and experienced God's grace and forgiveness. And then they did something remarkable. The leaders of this church had a worship service and gathered the congregation and the elders of the church stood in front of the congregation and said, here are the specific ways we failed you. Will you forgive us? And the congregation said, yes, we will. Yes, we'll forgive you. And yes, we know you're not perfect, but you're the under shepherds of our king. And not only do we forgive you, but we'll submit to you and follow you. Unbelievable. I tell you that part of our story because today we're experiencing a lot of grace, a lot of growth, a lot of joy. And that's all wonderful, but you can trace that fruitfulness back to that faithfulness, the faithfulness of God to rescue his people. The faithfulness of God to bring us to reality, to bring us to sober-mindedness, to show us that we were wrong and needed his saving grace and rescue again. And God and his faithfulness did it. It's important to remember our story. And uh, if you're new to here, and sometimes it looks like everyone's really impressive, just ask us and we'll tell you, no, 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 our God is good and faithful and he rescues sinners like us. We failed, we were divided, we repented, we were rescued, and we could admit our failure, not just the big stories, but even individually, because Jesus is our Passover lamb. Did you hear? There was a problem that came up in the passage. There were people that had touched the dead corpse, and they were like, I'm not sure we can come to Passover. And they were told, well, you can't come to Passover if you're unclean, but next month you can come on the second month, not the first month. You come on the second month of the 14th day, but don't forget the regulations. And then you're told the original regulations and that problem, that paragraph about the problem, and, and here's what they're told. Do it at twilight. Do it on the 14th day. Keep all the rules. And remember that one rule? Uh, when you sacrifice the lamb, don't break any of its bones. And so that's why we read John 19 today. In all these different ways, we're told in John 19 how Jesus' crucifixion on the cross fulfilled the word of God. How is that true? I mean, I mean, he, he, had a, he had a woven tunic that was one piece. That's like a priestly garment. And they cast lots for his clothing. How does that fulfill the scriptures? It fulfills the scriptures because God always had one plan to save his people. God had the son to send, and he was willing to send that son to die in the place of sinners. Uh, we're told that Jesus thirsted and that fulfilled the scriptures. How does that fulfill the scriptures that Jesus thirsted? Well, the Psalms are full of the righteous sufferer who's thirsting for the justice of God. But we're also told when God's people are rebellious, he'll lead us to a thirsty place. Jesus is the righteous sufferer who suffers in the place of the rebellious. And so on the cross, he cries out, I thirst. But we're also told that uh, he was pierced and that fulfilled a prophecy from Zechariah and the blood and the water flowed out. But the one that hits our passage so well is just to remind you of the brutality of crucifixion, what the son of God experienced for your rescue and for mine. See, it was a, the Sabbath day was coming and Jews didn't want to deal with dead bodies on the Sabbath day. And so they went to Pilate and said, hey, you know what? We, it's really icky for us to do that kind of work on the Sabbath. Uh, can we go break their legs? Uh, please, please have their legs broken. So the soldiers go out to break the legs of Jesus and the two men crucified him. And they, they break the legs of the man on his left and the man on his right. But they get to Jesus and he's already dead and they don't break his legs. Does that sound familiar? It's one of the laws about the Passover lamb. What is John telling you? Jesus is your perfect 
Passover lamb. He fulfills the scriptures in ways that you couldn't even imagine were about him. But all the scriptures are about him. Why? Because there's one God and God sent his eternal son to pay for the sins of his people. The whole story is about Jesus because God had the son to send and he was willing to send his son for your redemption. That's the heart of your story. To God be the glory. Secondly, I want to see, what do you do? How do you respond to a God so full of grace and love that he would send his son to be the perfect Passover lamb to take my place as my substitute? Well, the passage here shows us what should be obvious to us is those who know Yahweh's salvation, who remember it and celebrate it again and again and again. We're the people who walk with the Lord according to the ways that he offers his word and his leadership to us. Look with me. Chapter 9, verse 15 and following. On the day that the tabernacle was set up, pretty big day, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of testimony. And at evening, it was over the tabernacle like the appearance of fire until morning. So it was always. The cloud covered the tabernacle by day and the appearance of fire by night. And whenever the cloud lifted up from over the tent, After that, the people of Israel set out. And in the place where the cloud settled down, there the people of Israel camped. Isn't that interesting? Where have you seen that cloud before? God led his people out of Egypt into the wilderness in the first place through the Red Sea by the cloud. They followed the cloud by day and the fire by night. And then when they got to Mount Sinai, what happened? But there was a mighty cloud at the top, the, the, the theophany, God himself, his appearance on Mount Sinai in a cloud and often in fire and all kinds of frightening phenomena. And now that cloud, which is the representative of God's holy presence with his people, that cloud from up on Mount Sinai is now above the tabernacle in the middle of the people. The holy God is really in the midst of his people. And, and you can see that his, he's present by the cloud. He's hidden in the cloud, but he's present because the cloud is there. And you can see it. You can see it by day. There's the cloud. Yahweh is here at night. There's the fire, the pillar of fire. Yahweh is here. And what's the meaning in this passage? God is with his people to lead his people. God is with his people. When the cloud gets up and goes, the people get up and go. When the cloud stops, the people stops. The cloud settles, the people settle. In other words, God is committed to being with his people and leading his people in the places they should go. And we've experienced that in the history of our church in wonderful ways. We could name a thousand things, but just think about this. The Lord led us to Ukraine. Back in the mid-90s to the late 90s, and, and tons of people went on multiple trips to Ukraine, uh, contending for the gospel, sharing good news about Jesus, building up the church, doing all kinds of important things. And in the last year, uh, a couple of families from Ukraine have joined our church as a fruit of that mission back then because of the hard providences that have rolled into their country land. They're now here today. There they are in the valley as members of our church because of the grace of God and the providence of God. You'll see this in the weeks to come. There's going to be a booth up there. I think that's, I'm thinking point in the right area. I'm not 100% positive. There's going to be a booth up there uh, so that we can translate uh, for them so they can uh, worship with us hearing uh, in their most native language and also hearing our sermons, uh, being able to participate fully. Uh, Why are we doing that? Because uh, they're our family. By the grace of God and the story of God and the work of God, they're now here as members of our church. We want them 
to participate fully. The Lord led us to Ukraine and we were there all the time from kind of the mid to late 90s all the way through about 2008. And many of you went on those trips. Uh, the Lord led uh, Kurt and Ashley Sin uh, to Honduras in January, I think it was 2011 or 12. Uh, and they went to Honduras and they went to, to see some work people were doing uh, with children who were suffering and uh, didn't and had lost families, were in horrible situations because of things that happened uh, in and around Tegucigalpa. And, and maybe you've been on a trip with Ashley and she's now on the board of Forgotten Children Ministries and she leads lots of trips for our church. Church and she's just a great leader and she and Kurt are about to go on a medical trip soon but that wasn't what their first trip was like her first trip Ashley's told Christy me many times she couldn't say a word she was blown away by the suffering and the the needs that she saw the the children the the depths of the need and they went into the dump area where people lived in a garbage dump and she was overwhelmed by the poverty and the filth and the needs she couldn't speak and she and Kurt came home and cried for a week and then believed the Lord was calling them to be involved there so now they've led over 30 families from our church in this last dozen years to go with them on trips. And then uh, we end up having a strategic mission partner who's planting churches in the largest city in Tegus, right near where the children's home is, um, the Hoberts. And now pretty soon we're sending one of our pastors and his family to join that team. Why? Because when the Lord is with his people, he leads them in ways that are good and right and fruitful. This is what it means to be God's people, to be aware of his will, aware of his ways, and to walk with him. In the cloud, uh, in the New Testament, you can uh, see uh, what takes the place of the cloud in the New Testament is the presence of God's spirit with God's people. If you're studying Galatians, when you get to chapter 5, you'll see this. Uh, If we walk with the spirit, let us keep in step with the spirit. The very uh, glory cloud that was on Mount Sinai and over the tabernacle and in the temple uh, now dwells in people who believe in Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, his work is so complete and finished and perfect that the very Holy Spirit of God lives in the one who believes in him, leading us and leading us. Uh, This is how God works. But look with me in this next little paragraph. Um, I'll read parts of it for you, verses 18 and forward. Uh, There's a great collision of themes because God is leading his people by the cloud getting up and moving and they move and then settling and they settle and it's very visual and they can see it oh the clouds on the move we better get going Um, but there's something else going on here is they're responding to the very word of God the very mouth of God verse 18 see if you can pick up the repetitive refrain at Yahweh's command the people of Israel set out And at Yahweh's command, they can't wait. I thought they were following the cloud. Well, they're doing exactly what God told them to do. These words came from his very mouth. As long as the cloud rested over the tabernacle, they remained in camp. Even when the cloud continued over the tabernacle many days, the people of Israel kept the charge. They did what he said of Yahweh and did not set out. Sometimes the cloud was a few days over the tabernacle and according to Yahweh's command, they remained in camp. Then according to Yahweh's command, they set out. And so this passage is very emphatic and very repetitive. And so you're told as long as it stayed, they stayed. When it moved, they moved. Why? That's what Yahweh had commanded. That command had come from his very mouth. Look at the summary in verse 23. There's been four already. Here's five, six, and seven. At Yahweh's command, they camped. 
And at Yahweh's command, they set out. They kept the charge of Yahweh at Yahweh's command by Moses. When you're rescued by the grace of God, you want to walk with the Lord according to his word. What a gift. I have no idea what's going to blow through our culture seven years from now. I have no idea what populars everyone will buy into 12 years from now. They'll blow in and they'll blow out. They'll seem great and then we'll realize 20 years later, oh, that was disastrous. But I can tell you this, you can bank your life on what God says from his word. It doesn't change. We worship and serve a God who speaks and he's spoken to us in his word and to be the people of God rescued by the grace of God makes us the people of God who want to hear everything God says to us. And that leads us to the third paragraph, which is one more command. Oh, this old Testament laws, commands, it's overboding. Who wants another law command? Well, this one's interesting. So you got the visuals, you got the cloud and you got the fire. And now you've got something for the ear, two trumpets. What are these trumpets about? Here's the end of our passage. Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, make two silver trumpets of hammered work. You shall make them and you shall use them for summoning the congregation and for breaking camp. You'll use the horns, the trumpets. When you bring the people in, you'll use the trumpets when you send the people out. And when both are blown, all the congregation shall gather themselves to you at the entrance of the tent of meeting. But if they blow only one, then the chiefs, the heads of the tribes of Israel shall gather themselves to you. Uh, God is giving his people order, structure. Now, interesting, they've already got the visual. uh, When the cloud goes up, we move. When the cloud settles, we stay. But now you get a little bit more instruction because it's a lot of people in the wilderness. And what God is doing is granting them order. Uh, Verse five, when you blow an alarm, the camps that are on the east side shall set out. When you blow an alarm, the second time, the camps are on the south side shall set out. Alarm is to be blown wherever they are set out. And then he moves on. It's so interesting because we already know there's people on the east, people on the south, people on the west, people on the north. He doesn't even finish that circle. Isn't that interesting? He just tells you two of them and you're supposed to know. Oh yeah, same for the third set and same for the fourth set. So there's some things he doesn't even finish the cycle, but there's other things he says over and over and over again. The Lord knows how to emphasize what he wants your heart to grasp through his repetitive commands of telling you his way. So I want you to, here's our third point. I want you to remember something. Let's see, remember our story and our salvation uh, we walk with the Lord according to his word. There's something else I want you to remember. I want you to remember, and that's what these trumpets are really about, how God chooses to remember you. Look at it with me in verses 9 and 10. What are, what are these trumpets about? And when you go to war in your land against the adversary who oppresses you, then you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets. Why? That you may be remembered before Yahweh your God and you shall be saved from your enemies. Isn't that wonderful? One of the purposes of of the trumpets was that you would blow them when you were in big trouble. When the enemy who oppresses you, uh, when the enemy is pressing in, when the enemy is on the attack, when you're vulnerable and the oppression is coming from the outside and someone wants to take you out, what do you do? You blow the trumpets. Why? That you may be remembered before Yahweh your God. Isn't this an interesting commandment? Uh, This is a way for God to say, I want my people to know that I remember them. You blow the trumpet and I'll come running. 
a commandment that tells us that God is responsive to his people, a law to remind us that God knows our troubles and, and is eager to respond to us when we call out. Uh, you've been put, there's a, a great trumpet's been placed into your hand, the trumpet of prayer. Are you under attack? Sound the trumpet. God responds to his people, but look with me also, and you will be saved from your enemies. And that was verse nine. Look at verse 10. Not just when it's bad, not just when you go to war, not just when you're under attack, but on the day of your gladness, like when you eat bacon in the fellowship hall. On the day of your gladness also, and at your appointed feasts, and at the beginning of your months, oh, every single month, remember you belong to the Lord. Blow the trumpets. You shall blow the trumpets where? Over your burnt offerings. This this is the ascension offering. The near bringing you bring when you draw near to God is a, the whole burnt offering is an ascension offering. It goes up into God's presence. And what do you do? Blow your trumpets over that and over the sacrifices of your peace near bringings. They shall be, these trumpets, that sound shall be a reminder of you before Yahweh your God. You see what the trumpets are all about? When you draw near to God and the substitute is ascending in your presence, blow the trumpet and, and God wants you to know, I'm thinking of you in light of the sacrifice that ascends into my presence. When you come and you bring your near bringing, which is a peace offering, it says, oh God, we have fellowship with each other. I belong to you and you belong to me. Blow the trumpets and I want you to know that's how I'm thinking of you. God gives these laws to teach us that he wants us to remember how he remembers us. And at the end of the day, in the whole biblical story, God has chosen to remember you and me by uniting us to his son. Jesus Christ is the ultimate ascension offering. He's the whole born offering. He offered the whole of his righteous, perfect life. He lived the life that I failed to live. He lived the life that you failed, failed to live. And at the end of his life, he, his whole life was a perfect, perfect offering to the Father. And at the end of his life, he was offered up. And don't you remember uh, having been crucified on the cross? Uh, dead and buried on the third day he rose again and luke tells us at the end of his life uh he ascends into heaven in acts one he tells us that he ascended in a cloud but what does he do before he ascends into heaven the lord jesus christ crucified the ascension offering for you before he ascends he lifts his hands and blesses his disciples your life is hidden with christ in god All of God's gifts and blessings and favor belong to you in Christ Jesus. Will you pray with me? Let's try to remember it together, even as we meet the king at his table. Father in heaven, thank you so much for sending your son for us. Lord Jesus, today at this table, we remember your sacrifice, your self-giving offering giving offering in love and by faith we draw near to you to receive the grace and strength we need to live as your people until you come amen